<laughs> yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Iron Perspective Radio, episode 18 in living, no, living in color, excuse me. I'm so used to my childhood. Uh, living in color. <laughs> uh, I am your co-host, Joel H. Whitfield. And I am Nasia Alam, and thank you guys for being here with us today. Um, so yeah, we're going to get started. Oh, okay, we are all here. Um, Jarrell, you want to start? Okay, so we're going to jump right in this because we got a, a wonderful loaded guest list today. And uh, I, I'm i going to prompt this and say, like I told Nussie, I was like, I really am exhausted and I don't want to talk too much about this. But I, I'm very um, passionate about everything that we bring to the Iron Perspective table, but the conversation that we're going to be today, I'm glad that we get to open it to some different uh, people in different parts of the country and get some different perspectives. Uh, the title of the episode, as we said, is Living in Color, and we wanted to kind of talk about the recent events and what's been going on outside of COVID, outside of uh, our Looney Tunes president and other things we've been having. I can't even say a string at this point, a kind of consistent showing of um, aggression and killing of black people in this country. It's like, it's like saying it like, uh, like this thing just started. It's, it's unbelievable. But Nussie and I, you know, this is very personal for me. Like, um, I feel all of these things that happen. I feel every last one of these events. Some of them are hard to just do different radio shows or any of our perspectives because Nussie and I sacrifice a lot of our own perspective to do this show and to do these events um, gratefully because we learn a lot. But thinking about what's been going on now, it, it's such a, a tragic echoing of why we even started Iron Perspective over three, three years ago. And I and I'll often say three, it might've been four, it might've been 20 years because what it took to create Iron Perspective came from a lot of years of our friendship, Nussie and I, and being able to come to each other and want to know about her, um, not past, but her, her perspective, her life, her journey, and her wanting to know mine, her as a Muslim woman, me as a black man. And the making of why we started this was years and years of friendship and conversation. Um, and it really kind of came to a head around the time that Black Lives Matter started, and got started in this country, and things like Eric, uh, events like Eric Garner's death was happening on live television. Uh, and here we are full circle. So without going too far into that, we wanted to lead off this conversation, really talking about why we started this and uh, how this is relative now, you know? So mm -hmm. Nessie, you wanna talk about the perspective and empathy? Yeah, so, you know, I'm perspective, our two biggest ideas, we really only have two words in our vision and that's empathy and understanding. And we think the you know, best way to do that is actually sitting face to face or at this point, you know, computer screen to computer screen um, and having genuine authentic conversations. You know, for so long, I think that we've been in a society where we have to be very politically correct. And in that polit politically correctness, we were not able to say a lot of things which is now I think transpiring, you know, we, a lot of things have been coming out in the open and more public these past few years. And, you know, we're still dealing with the same things we're always dealing with. And so what does that look like to create more empathy and understanding? Like, I know that um, there's a lot of people um, 
you know, both black, non-black, other minorities, um, like everyone's watching things, they're watching the news, but like, what are they actually understanding? What, what, what are they taking away from the different situations? Um, and so um, we have a diverse group of people on this panel with us today. Uh, panel conversation. It's a conversation. It's not a panel so much as it is a conversation. And while we do have some questions in mind, um, you know, if you guys have something that you guys really feel compelled to put in there, let, definitely let us know. Um, with that being said, we you know want to give you guys an opportunity to introduce yourselves. Um, everyone jumped in last minute. Like I, we really this morning we're like, oh crap, it's a Tuesday morning, and that we had a show to do and. Um, we were actually going to be doing a different... Not me. I had this planned. I knew all you guys were going to be here. So I don't know what Ness is talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we were going to have children's perspective, actually. And then we, you know, considering what's happening this weekend um, and what we're about, what we've always trying to create, this felt like a great time to have this conversation. So um, anyone can start. I know, you know, really... Um, I don't know. The order of the screen is the same for everybody, so you can say. You no, know, I'll be asking. It's just a brief introduction. Who you are? You can uh, whatever information that represents yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. First thing before we do that, though, we, we usually have ground rules for our one-on-one -on -one events. They've been changing much on our radio shows. We don't really need to have them. But seeing as the conversation we're about to have, I just want to reiterate one of our main ground rules for any of our iron perspective events is that your perspective is your perspective. So some of us know each other in this group, some of us don't. Um, there'll be people listening to this around the world. And just understand if you see somebody and they look a kind of way, don't associate their perspective with, they're not representing anyone but themselves. Everyone on this line can answer freely knowing that you don't have to represent your country or your gender or whatever. This is solely from you. And that's what's important because I know we got people calling from the States, down South and all over the different place. And what you're experiencing, your perspective is important to this conversation. So, and please tell us where you're actually calling from today as well, because I know we have people from all over. So, um, who wants? To, all right, I'll Patrick. go first. Okay. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're gonna have to point out like schools. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's let's go. Top left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. So my name is Shirley Williams. I am from. I'm originally from Connecticut and I live in New York City. So I'm calling from New York City, my current home. Uh, I feel like I'm many things. I'm a lover of God. I am a director, I'm a writer, I'm a producer. I am also uh, an advocate for people of color in the media and entertainment space. I help run a group called Who You Know, who has about over 11,000 members uh, who are all people of color within entertainment. And we support them in uh, getting education, advancing within their careers, getting jobs, increasing in knowledge, all that jazz. And I'm a super auntie too. Super auntie, that's, super auntie. Auntie. that's amazing. Nussie's just that's an auntie, a job. That's a super job. auntie. <laughs> There's a few of us on here. That's um, awesome. Thank you, Shirley. Taz? Hey, everyone. I'm Taz. Uh, that is really hard to follow, Shirley. Um, 
I'm also an aunt. I'm not sure if I'm a super aunt. I'm more like an obsessed aunt. Um, but she is the love of our life um, and love of my life. And um, I am out in Massachusetts in Natick. So I'm out in the suburbs of Massachusetts, like about an hour outside of Boston. And originally I'm from New York City. So I was raised in New York all my life. I am also from Bangladesh. I'm Muslim and uh, a New Yorker on top of all of that. So hi everyone. Hello, hello, hello. All those layers, that's wonderful. Hey guys. Boston, Bengali, New York, and... <laughs> and I love pizza. It's important. Hey, hey. New York pizza. So I'm not an aunt, but I am an uncle. And my name's Patrick. I'm from Connecticut. I'm a nurse, screenwriter, book editor, and um, community organizer. And so, yeah, lived in Connecticut my whole life, worked in Westchester. And it's been an interesting two months, for sure. All right, thanks, Patrick. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Carrington. Uh, I go by CJ. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm an uncle. I want to be a super uncle, too. Shout out to Shirley for shouting that out there. Um, I'm an educator. I'm in the arts. I'm a creative. I'm a producer. All these type of things. Uh, however, in this moment, in this time, I am me. And I would like to say that it's important for us to just recognize, again, if we're speaking from our perspective, I am me, I'm a black man, I'm here to give my perspective. Thank you guys for having me. All right, appreciate you. Thank you, man. And certainly last but not least. Hi guys, I am Rachel, and I don't even know where to start. Um, I am a Caucasian woman that grew up in the deep south. I am in Atlanta, Georgia right now. I just moved back here from Brooklyn. I have lived all up and down the East Coast. I have, um, let's see, I've been a dope dealer. I've been a drug addict. Um, I lost three kids looking at 15 years in the feds over 10 years ago. I am currently an accountant. I am a community organizer as well as Patrick. Um, I read oracles, I keep crystals in my bra, I meditate and speak life into existence, and I am glad to be here to give my perspective. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, from that, you know, I always have questions, but two very important questions. One, what is the Deep South? <laughs> to someone who's from the South, because New York is the Deep South is a whole different opinion. So what is the Deep South? Um... I think I use that in, in this situation because of, it's like once you get below Virginia, mm. it, color is very relevant. Um, mm. And so in my perspective, that is what that means to me. I think that Mississippi and Alabama is even deeper and it's scary, mm. but um, I am in Atlanta. So it's a little north of, a little, a little more north than Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to get that clear. That's what, that's how I felt as well. And um, the most important question, like this is a mind-blowing question. Nusty and I almost broke the internet trying to figure this out. What do you call yourself if you're from Connecticut? 
Yo, I have no idea. I'm just We could not, for the life of us, figure out. We're Connecticut. Why were y'all trying to figure that out? Because <laughs> they were trying to come for us. That's all. <laughs> out of control. That's so funny. <laughs> it was. It's funny because we got two people from Connecticut. And that's how we were talking, yeah. and it came up, and it was just like Connecticut, Connecticut, Connecticut. <laughs> Okay. So there's no way cutter. That's what I'm saying. Over there. That's a very serious question. Um, <laughs> the ones that are in between Boston and New York. There it is. Whoa. Perspective. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Spicy. It's all right. That's your perspective. Like one word, you know, this, you know, it's something, you know, funny in this moment, but one word we can ask one word and people will have a million different perspectives on what that is or what that could look like. Um, and I think one of the reasons we did start all of this is because we realized getting people in a room with different perspectives is um, it's not a, it's not a small thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do because people think that they're going to have an argument or it's going to be a debate or some kind, right? And you know, the biggest goal for I Am Perspective is really creating like a sense of unity and peace and what that looks like. And so, um, Jarrell and I had many conversations over. Um, why we would even do something like this. As he mentioned, him being a black man and me being a Muslim woman, um, what is it that we have to learn from each other, right? And what is also our responsibility with each other and making sure that the other person has their freedom and their rights, right? Um, we really, I think, started right around the Black Lives Matters movement. And right alongside that, there was a lot of also you know, another wave of Muslim backlash. And my personal um, question to a lot of my own family members is, what do you think our role is in this per in this movement and in this fight? What do you think your purpose is in this, right? And people had different perspectives and different opinions until it also affected them. And so I'm of the mindset, I know, I mean, you know, of the mindset that as long as anyone's having some sort of persecution, anyone's not being treated um, fairly, that we all have the opportunity of not being treated fairly, right? So um, this weekend, um, we had some interesting events. They're not even new events, right? Um, Jarrell, you can kind of speak onto that. It kind of sounded very similar to when we first started, some of the same things that are happening now. Um, and so, Really, the question in putting this whole group together is whose problem is this? What's happening in this country? What, whose problem is it? Um, and really, anyone can start off answering that and what your perspective is. I mean, ultimately, it's, it's everyone's problem. Um, we're all impacted by it in some way, shape, form or another, um, and how we, like what side we sit on or don't sit on, whether we stay in denial, whether we take the um, hatred aspect, um, or become involved intentionally, because ultimately it's going to impact future generations. Um, and the results therein. 
Yeah. I agree. Uh, I agree with Rachel. I think it's everyone's problem. And not only that, I think the only way to solve it might just be everyone as well. Like it, we can't look to leadership. We can't look to government. We can't look to anyone else to solve this. I think we have to be the solution as you know, what you guys are doing through our voice, through media, through art, through our experience. I think we have to be the solution as well. You know what's so crazy? I was just having this conversation with a coworker the other day um, because within Vice, we were talking about, I, I, I produce for Refinery, which is owned by Vice. So within mm. Vice, we were having a conversation, with the internal teams, we was having a conversation about like, okay, so like, how can we be an interruption? Vice is such a huge, a huge voice. How can we use this, this media tool to really bring a lot of attention to it and it, it became so political right and then i took a few steps away from the conversation and then i had some background conversations with other black uh employees and i was like look the bottom line for me what i believe is yes it is in everybody's problem but everyone does not see it as their problem really it's a black folk problem right now mm. and black folk need other people to team up with them to make this a everybody problem and i think that there's some traction around that that's starting to happen but yes uh fundamentally this is a everybody's problem because it's affecting everybody all over the globe but when you look at the people who are directly impacted by this it is black people. When you look at the people who are on the front lines and fighting to, for it to stop and fighting for us to be heard, it's black folk. So right now, I feel like immediately, uh, you know, it's a it's a a black folk problem when it needs to to it needs to be much more bigger, and it needs to become an everybody problem. May I ask, uh, can we, for the sake of this conversation, may we name the problem clearly? So when I, the, for, for me, the problem uh, is so many things. Uh, racism, uh, the murders of black, young black boys. Uh, today, the, 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 uh, the problem was white privilege with Amy Cooper being in Central Park, breaking rules and calling the lying and calling the cops on a, uh, a another black man who asked her to do what was proper and asked her to do what was right. So for me, the problem is it's all it's all the results of racism and white privilege. That's what mm -hmm. the problem the problems are. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's in a wave of just to um, CJ to to double on that, that's what we were thinking about. There's clearly many, many problems and we're not trying to act like anything that happened this weekend is the sole problem. But speaking on those current events, uh, like Charlie just uh, just eloquently put, that's that's what we're talking about as far as the problem in this conversation. I think, um, I would say it's the government's problem, really, more than anything from the very beginning. And, um, like it was frustrating having the conversations like every single week in February about, okay, so there's a, there's something coming. It hit down in America. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a problem. And every single week it was kind of the same thing. Like, okay, 
healthcare workers can't even get tested still. We still haven't heard anything. Nobody's changed a thing. We're acting like it's not really happening. And to me, government, 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 100%, because it's, it's too big. And um, jumping off of what Shirley was talking about, I, I think um, it's kind of a sign of white privilege that we have the white privilege president, in my opinion, and everything went to hell because when you try to use white privilege to deal with real problems, it excludes almost everybody, even a lot of white people because it's only meant to be like a ladder for a few people to climb out. I think um, that's actually an interesting point, like you're saying, the climbing of the ladder. Uh, for me, I think the problem has been just this conditioning and the, the, the way that we've brought up into the system. The world's view, period, is just set kind of like on this same ladder. So it's not just like, a, oh, it's a New York problem or it's an America problem. It's like the world view has been put through this lens of, as we will say, white privilege for the sake of this conversation. And that system has been uh, constantly just like leaned on in order to like set the rules for the rest of us. Uh, we mentioned the woman, Amy Cooper, that was in the park. Um, she was exercising her privilege to be in Central Park and without, uh, without obeying the rules and, and having a dog on a leash and stuff like that. And then when a person approached her and told her she, hey, miss, you have to have your dog on a leash, she decided to weaponize her privilege. She decided to weaponize her privilege, one, as a white woman, um, to, because a lot of, on that same scale, the same lens we're looking at, white women are claimed mm -hmm. to be like innocent. There's, there's claimed to be like uh, weaker or on that scale, from my experience, they claim to be weaker or innocent. And she decided to weaponize that by saying he was a threat to her life. He was threatening her. So if a police officer would have came to that moment, whose word would he have taken? And I myself have been a, a victim of police brutality, unjust. I myself was beat up, tased, with a gun on my head, all this stuff from police without a reason. And then when I went to go try to file complaints and all that stuff, stuff wasn't even on file. So essentially I was kidnapped. So imagine what that does to my psyche. Imagine what that, what that does. So if imagine me, if I was in that park and the police would have approached me, I automatically am on defense. I'm on edge because I believe that once again, I'm in danger and I've done nothing wrong. And she's using her privilege in that moment to demonize the person that by society's standards, and we spoke earlier about political correctness, politically correct, you can't say nigger anymore but you can't call him a criminal. You can't call him a thug. You can't call him all these other things. So automatically that labeling of us has put the world's view, especially on black men, in my opinion, in my experience, has put the world view that we are guilty. Think about Ahmaud Arbery. Think about the gentleman that this morning was killed. Just think, like, think about like how this has become a thing. And we're not necessarily desensitized to these behaviors. We're not desensitized to these actions. It's just become kind of like open season. And it's very frustrating to try to like operate in that. I myself also at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this pandemic, I went to BJ's. I had the mask on. Thank you to um, I Am Perspective. I Am Protected for the mask that I've received. But this is the very beginning when I just had a regular bandana on my face. I'm walking out of BJ's and I get stopped by three cops. 
Like, hey, let's see your bag. What's going on in your bag? Dude, I'm covering my face. Like, we're supposed to be covering our face. I didn't even touch anything in the on, in the shelves. I'm walking out and I get I get harassed. Really? So when we say that this is a world problem, I think we gotta look at it too as the old systems and like how that has influenced what's going on with the new system. We have to really right now be intentional around attacking that system and attacking what is accepted as true and what is accepted as normal. We are quote unquote in a new normal. Let's make sure that we throw off old old standards and understand what's going on now. It's It's been years, it's been hundreds of years that people have been oppressed in this type of way and it's very dangerous. Imagine what that does. So not only am I dealing with trauma as a person being victimized by police, not only am I dealing with trauma that's associated with poverty and lower income status, not only am I associated with trauma of being a black man in America, I'm now being associated, now I have trauma from COVID. And should I cover my mask? I mean, should I cover my face? Should I walk out like this? Am I still threatening? Like if I was threatening before, imagine what I look like when I'm geared up. It's just wild to me, but I'm sorry I went on a rant. <laughs> uh, cool. I, we we understood that there might be a little bit of rantage <laughs> because this is what happened, and, and we're in a a day and age that somebody speaking passionately is a rant. You know, um, we're gonna be mindful of the time we have here with everybody, but like we understand us. Nussie and I knew we weren't gonna be talking too much during this time because just that. Uh, I just want to point out quickly. Um, that within those answers, those were totally different answers. You know, they were, they were, they had similarities, but that's really at the heart of what we're talking about when we get into perspective. Now, this is within five people. What happens in a room of 500 people, in a room of 5,000 people, in a room of 300 million people, which is what America is, right? We're, we're, we play Kate, like we're this united thing, but just in this small Zoom, we have all these different perspectives. Um, and really what all you what what all you guys have said is why we started this specifically what Shirley was saying was um, a conversation about for me of like why is this a black issue you know because it very much is a black issue when this is a police and if we're going to just talk about police killings you know police brutality this is police that police everybody you know they might do it differently and justly but like Ultimately, we all have to deal with the same system. So how how do we how do we get people involved with uh, with some of the things that you were saying? And that's where the idea of perspective came from. So I want to kind of throw out there without leading too much, because I've heard everyone say the word, and Nessie and I we be like, ah, that's our word, but that's personal. But we hear people say the word a lot, so everybody knows what it means, right? Everybody's familiar with perspective. Why? And I think everybody understands wh what we're doing, but why is perspective important in cases like this? Why would, why would it be important to get these different perspectives? Why do you, your different perspectives matter? Empathy. Empathy? All right. I remember when they showed all them kids down there for spring break in Florida, and I'm like, my is it easy not to think of anybody but yourself? Okay. I, I think that is important for folks to have their perspective and to be able to relay their perspective uh, simply because now you have an opportunity to understand a little bit better. Um, 
if I didn't tell you that I was assaulted by police, you wouldn't understand that. You wouldn't know that. So if you saw me react a certain way to police, you'd be like, oh, why is he not just following directions? You didn't know that. So you would automatically assume without the background information. So it was important for us, and thank you guys for making this platform to allow folks to put out their perspective, to put out their experiences. That will help understanding go across, and I feel like that will definitely bridge the gap. I think it's important for influence. Because it's just like Shirley was saying, the problem directly impacts black people. But then what CJ was saying is because of the preconditioning and the programming of the mind. If um, white people are always trained that black people are bad and that they're they have this they're they're prone to criminal behavior and there's this mass fear that's being put out into the media. And then even further south where people are programmed with self-hate and then they project that onto a race instead of fixing the heart of the matter, which is themselves. And then they band together with this type of behavior. So I can see three white kids and their dad with shotguns and big rifles, but to see um, three black kids and their dad with rifles and AKs and things, oh, that's a terrible thing. So for a person to have a perspective, to be able to influence the minds of people that look like them, but talk differently than them, or maybe move differently than them because they've been awarded the opportunity to go into these environments where there is no fear to be had, people are people. But these white people have never been taught that people are people, like it doesn't make a difference how your color is, their, their, their perspective has been shaped based upon to judge somebody automatically by the way they look instead of it just being a human. So with the perspective, you have the capacity to be able to influence people to change the problem. Great, great, great. Thank you, Rachel. I think what we've been hearing kind of um, from what, you know, everyone's been sharing so far is that there's a level of fear, right, that's underlying um, behind really everybody, whoever that is, whether it's the cops, whether it's you're a black man, whether you're the white woman, um, there's a level of fear that's present. Um, what does fear look like for you in your own perspective? What do you think might be happening um, with whoever you believe that, uh, whether it's the cop or the white woman, what do you think is happening there that might help under make you understand where that's coming from not that it's okay or anything like that but where do you guys what's your perspective on that you know i was um i was actually this morning i was studying um i was studying ephesians 6 and it's a scripture in there that speaks about uh how we are not fighting against people. It's not flesh and blood, but we're actually fighting against, like what Rachel was saying, against influences, against higher powers, against spirits. Um, and I, that, that helps me to be more, um, to be less reactive when things like this happen, more understanding, um, and a little bit more compassionate to know that it's it's so much more bigger than a person-to-person -person problem. It's so much more deeper. But I think within all that, the, the fear, if we look at like what happened with Amy, Amy is probably operating out of 
losing white privilege somehow some way being 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 the lesser person right um she probably has been taught her whole life that black men are scary and bad and dangerous and may be operating out of that um i do think that white people in particular are scared of the power that black people have the impact that black people can have um the hurt and the harm that black people can cause and i do think that a lot of that is uh why we see um a lot of as we see a lot of these problems like if you go all the way back to you know willie lynch and all of these things on on what was taught to slave masters on as to how to control and to tear down black people as a way to as a way to ma continue to master them and to control them it was all based out of fear it was all all these tools and tactics were used to destroy and to kill us so that we could we could never quote unquote measure up or we could never be on the same playing field and those same habits those same ideas, those same belief systems are being carried on until this day. It just looks different for some. I remember um, hearing that equality for people with privilege feels like oppression. And that's exactly what's coming up every single time to me. Like when they keep talking about Karens, I feel like uh, <laughs> Karens are people who don't understand why they're not getting what they were promised. And I got a lot of those in, you know, my town, my area. And it was wild once everybody had to put a mask on, so many of them just didn't want to. And I'm like, do we need like Geraldo Rivera to to knock through the back door of some of these hospitals? Because it's happening right now. And y'all are acting like it's sweet, but it's not. And like, um, bringing it back to the race conversation, I remember it, it broke my brain when I heard that um, they didn't kill MLK until he wanted income, income equality. It wasn't about race. He had settled a lot of the race thing and he knew we have to integrate because you might not care what happens with these black kids over there, but if they go to your schools, I bet you you're not gonna make your school worse. You're gonna actually notice them and things will change for them. And then the next step was we can't have a ghetto everywhere. America's too rich. America's too rich for there to be the trailer park everywhere. We can figure something out. And like Shirley was saying, um, a coalition of not even minorities anymore, becoming the majority has to get together and realize like it's rungs on the ladder, like you're not, I haven't seen a class of people get treated like they shouldn't exist so quickly in America since 9-11. But all of a sudden you go to a Chinese food place, you can't find a soul. Um, most of them in my town are closed. And I'm like, this is, do you guys see? Because sometimes they'll have people competing against one another to be a little bit better than the other. You know, you'll see colorism inside of races be a little bit better than one another. And I'm like, do you see that you're competing to try to get to the top, which is like almost the bottom for them. Like, yeah, to get to this ideal that they all think that they can somehow. It's a treadmill, it's not a race. Like, do you get it? You see how quick, 
just because you're not first in line doesn't mean you're not second to yeah. catch the so third. I, catch I, I think I think it's a lot deeper. Um, and I think like Shirley and CJ, you guys touched in it a little bit, right? So yes, we all have different stories and we all have different trauma and experiences and that's where some of our fear comes out of, right? But I think America in general and things like Looney Tunes president, a lot of open racism became an open thing, right? It, it It's allowed somehow in certain parts of the country. When you're in New York and stuff, you don't see that. I never experienced it in New York. The minute I left New York though, you experienced it. And I think we realized, like I, I kept telling myself, like what is racism, right? It's because we all look at each other and we judge, right? We all judge, but does it become racism when you take action upon that judgment? And there's a lot deeper to it because it's, it's what we're teaching kids that we're surrounded by, it's what we're teaching by habit and behavior, what our nieces and nephews are seeing us do, right? Like if you're creating Chinese food, you go support your corner, you know, Chinese, Asian, or, you know, um, Chinese food spot, or do you say, no, nah, I'm gonna have something else today just because. You don't finish that sentence, but we all know what you're talking about. And if a kid sees that, then they will mimic that behavior. So white privilege also comes from that as well, right? And there, there is a us and they here, and they are definitely afraid that we are going to make the game, right? The school or the, the I guess like even looking for income and everything else that we're looking to make the game field a lot more equal versus which it, it has never been. It has never been equal. And I think that's what they're afraid of and they call it oppression. I like that you um, that we are all kind of like trying to understand what where the fear is coming from. But for me, I don't think that it should necessarily be my responsibility to try to explain white privilege or its own white privilege and say, oh, this is why they're like that. Because we're not, we're as minorities and folks of color, we have already been in that position where we have to understand why they're like that because they're a quote unquote majority and they have to, why are we still having this conversation? I feel like it's important to like find a way we can bridge the gap. However, to, um, to Shirley's point about Willie Lynch and like the segregation and all these type of things, they taught us to be separate from each other. That was the breakdown. Keep them separate, keep their minds separate, keep all of these things separate. They will not recognize their power, they will not recognize their ability. So if we are continually to this day conditioned by that mindset, why do we take on the task of understanding why this white person treat me like this versus how can we treat each other better? How can we stand in each other's shoes and then build that up? And to your point before, uh, Patrick, with the radical re redistribution of wealth, which is why they took out King, um, how can we see like the strength of our economic power? If we want to level the playing field, like the same Taz, we should identify where our economic power is. Instead of continuing to support institutions that don't represent you or don't support you, why don't we sit within our power, see what we can put together, and then build from there? And like you were saying, it was a treadmill, it's, it's not a race, it's more so like, let's hit a, a minimum for everyone. Let's hit this minimum, your, your natural human rights to hit. You have food, you have water, you have shelter, you have clothes. If everyone can hit that, then we move from there. But for us to do that, we have to look out for ourselves first. Like, 
I feel like we should not continue to compartmentalize white privilege and try to understand it through their lens to why it's affecting me this way. What can we do in the face of that? How can we support each other? How can we continue to move? Said I didn't want to talk and now I'm getting all of this. Ooh, man, no, this is wonderful. Um, thank y'all. Thank you all. I have so much to say, but I do want to just ask questions. I'm not going to talk a lot. Um, man, that's very powerful because again, Nussie and I, we have so many of these conversations outside of IAP. Like we have to, you know, we have to have these conversations for her to understand me and me to understand her and us to do this work. And um, without going off the hinge, man, I, I often make this thing about history and why it's important, why perspective of what Black people are going through is important. Taz just said us, you know, and this is a thing that is uh, very important and moving into the next question. Um, we, I remember we did an event in Brooklyn uh, when we were outside, right? <laughs> and we had... Yeah, when we were outside and we had a wonderful conversation. It was an Asian lady in there, Asian American, and she spoke about being a POC, a person of color. And we had a black man in there. And like, as soon as she said it, like he was like, huh? Man had his hand up, he immediately was like, you know, he had never heard, he wasn't trying to be an asshole. He just was like, I've never heard you guys align with us. And now you're people of color, like, it was a really perplexing thing, you know. Um, I hear, I hear that term. I think we need to have a whole show on that without me talking about it right now, <laughs> because I see the unity in it and, and trust. I, I'm, I'm above, I'm about unity above all. But I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a realistic representation of what's going on here. And so when we say moving forward, of as far as what we have to do is us. Uh, what does it, because we, we established these problems right now as black problems, you know, even though these black problems affect all people of color. I'm not denying the fact that there are people of color here and we're all going through this thing. But on one hand, we'd be like, oh, that's black problems. You know, we don't really, I might be, you know, brown or whatever, but I don't really have to worry too much about that kind of black problems, you know. Um, and we, we started off with some solutions of how we all get to that place. But we're going to throw out here now, what do you think, and we're going to put this out for the ladies first, and then gentlemen, you can answer afterward. Uh, what do you see are the roles of non-Black people in the moving to us? Because I've heard what Black people need to do and what, you know, or what CJ just said is like, it's an exhausting feeling to try to explain white privilege, you know, it should, it should be like, hey, read the package, y'all are here, read the ingredients. Uh, <laughs> so what do we, what do you think? Uh, yeah. I think, I think there's unity and trauma. I think, again, like, with everyone's stories, that same man that, you know, harassed or judged a black kid with a hoodie on, can also then judge uh, Muhammad that's wearing a you know a hat and just came out of the mosque, right? Because um, he must be a part of the Taliban, right? So I think people that judge and have the authority to take action, they're the ones that we have to worry about, right? And it's it's just going back to that same bad guy can be a bad guy to many. It's not just that one person. So I think community in that, in all the stories. 
Okay. So what do you think you, as a person that's not black, right? What do you think your responsibility and your role is in being more proactive, right? Like, so that it's not just a black problem. Like I hear the unity, like, you know, we're all in this together, but um, it's easy to say that, you know, we're in unity and we kind of take a step back because it's not affecting us or it's not something that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. So what is then the role of us other, you know, people of color or however that you want to identify for yourself? Um, what does that look like in your day-to-day -day interaction? Support, support and to be the voice, um, to be the voice representing someone whose voice isn't being heard, to be the person that can spread the word even, right? To even start having these conversations on behalf of someone that's in pain, that's still, that's still a start, I think. Um, and then to take those conversations to the next level and to have action out of it, I think that's what we're looking for because it's not something that we can do alone to say, hey, it's the Black people problem, let them figure it out. Like, no, it can't be that. It has to be all of us together because if we don't figure out how to live in this country together, it's gonna go down and that's what we have to figure out but it never feels like enough like it doesn't matter how many um jail rallies i protest at. it doesn't matter how many people i feed it doesn't matter how many um politicians i write to stay committed to the laws that they're saying that this is going to happen and that's going to happen it doesn't matter how many hugs i pass out it doesn't matter how many protest it doesn't matter how many um you know things i do as a white woman it's never really enough and i feel like integration is probably the worst thing that ever happened to the black community because if the black community would have been able to rise up in power without the white man's hand over them there wouldn't be any more ghetto there wouldn't be all this self-hatred being perpetuated through the black community. There wouldn't be this, ah, bro, let me get it for $5. Because whenever certain people go into the white man's store, they're not nickel and diamond him for $5. They're not trying, you know, black people, well, now there's this trend thing to be in hip hop or be on this wave where girls want curly hair and braided hair and things like that. Whenever brown skinned women have been, that's all they had was the white woman had going on for her because her culture was stolen from her two, three years ago. This lady in Central Park, she's just like the lady with Emmett Till. You know, like, it, it's all moving forward. And it's not necessarily that, like, oh, now it's open season. No, it's just the camera angle is different. Like, racism never stopped. Racism hasn't gotten, it, 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 it's probably better now than it was in the 80s, because at least we're not still dealing with the crack epidemic. I mean, we got the prison system, which is damn near the same thing as far as like breaking down the black family and things like that. But I mean, there has to be um, home economics, which I know this is happening like on, on micro levels, like amongst the, the black community and people coming together and teaching their kids and raising education systems and like, but it just never feels like enough. It's like you, you do so much, but then you still have this mass of people that are still buying Jordans. Why Jordan is putting money in the prison system, like, or you know, still supporting the white man, but not putting money in the black community. And so, me as a white woman, like, I tell white people because I've been racially profiled. I went to jail for something that wasn't mine because I was a white girl in a black man's car when I chose a brand new Cadillac with dealership plates, like. I went into stores where white people treat me nice, but I go in a couple of days later with my friends and they treat me totally different. So I no longer spend my money in those stores. But 
there's like this lack of of discipline and education that has to go forth into these communities, but it just never feels like enough. Rachel, I appreciate that understanding and that breakdown. I think it's very important that folks, um, when they when they want to be allies and they they represent allyship and doing the work and understanding equality and racial systems i think it's very important for folks to recognize their own privilege in that like even amongst the, the spectrum of like people of color like there is still levels of privilege in each yeah. level and like it's it's refreshing to hear you to to hear this take on it so thank you very much and i think that um that's how we get also to the next level when we acknowledge our privilege over in, in any specific situation like i'll have privilege over a black woman you know I, just from being a man i recognize that privilege in my allyship so i think that's the way we could take this further within allyship even within the plc recognize your privilege in whatever realm you can thank you for bringing and then that come to it from privilege um because we all in this group even have different levels of privilege whether we're based on our race, based on our skin color, our gender, our height, like there's different levels of privilege in here. Um, and, you know, even though sometimes this black problem can sometimes be seen as a black man's problem, um, what does it, what is the experience, Shirley, as a black woman, um, in your perspective, what does that feel like being in that role? Where do you often feel like you have to play the protector? Um, you know what what's your experience with this oh yeah um if i'm understanding your question uh mm -hmm. right i'm i'm hearing you ask me as a black woman how mm -hmm. what how how do i see myself or what is my role in relationship to the black man yeah. in this current day in this current day um what you think it should be um right if yeah you, yeah well, I think, I think that out of fear, I have a lot of, um, I don't know if I should call them bad habits, but I do, um, I can be very high strung and scary. You know, like if my boyfriend goes out for a run, if he's gone too long, you know, I'm ready to send a text like, hey, where are you? Um, I have nephews and I'll have nightmares sometimes about bad things happening to them. Or, you know, I have to talk to them about how they should be acting in public as like me, but they're young. Well, one of my nephews is very young and I'm, I'm always thinking about like grooming him and getting him ready for a world where he's no longer viewed as like a cute little boy, but one day he's going to be a big, big, big threat just because he's black. Um, so I think that uh, my, my role, I definitely feel like a protector. Um, it comes across in the way that I communicate. Um, sometimes I can come off as angry. Too, and I've, I've heard this before, but it's because I'm passionate and I'm a protector and I want to keep my, my people safe. Um, but I also know that, you know, I do have a privilege where I get to be an advocate and uh, I get to use my courage and my bravery to speak up and to be a voice. Uh, and to be an interruption because I, I know in conversations like with my boyfriend, there's things that he would absolutely not do that I do freely. And it's because he's a black man, right? Like 
you know, we, we made a joke. Well, we had a joke one day where I was getting ready to get on the bus and his Metro car was not filled, but mine's was. And I was like, well, I'm just going to walk on it. It doesn't matter. And he was like, I could never do something like that. You know, and it's because out of fear, he that could result into him getting into some danger. But I mean, yeah, I feel like I'm a protector. I feel like I out of it, I get to be a voice and an advocate. Uh, but a lot of that is driven by fear. Yeah, um, I want to throw it to the gentleman, but I first want to say, uh, and this is to everyone, everyone listening, but specifically to Rachel, that um, one, I identify with what you're saying and I empathize with what you're saying and, and the fact that it doesn't, it never feels like it's enough, but like it's enough because you can't, you can only do but so much. And just in this moment, you had CJ recognize your efforts. You know, that could be a, a game-shifting moment for him. Not to put anything on you, CJ, but that could be a situation where he's out here being harassed by the police. And he's like, yo, where are white people at? Where I haven't heard from one white person. And then he has this conversation and here's the efforts that you're doing. And that matters. You know, and the people who hear this, there are people out here who like, there's no white people doing anything. There's no Bengalis doing anything. There's no black men. You know, there's there's people out here in these boxes. So I know the feeling. That's why I say I empathize with you of that. Like, it is never enough. Nussie and I feel that all the way. What the hell is a conversation? I mean, I remember myself. I've had, you know, when we first started, I'm like, am I even allowed to talk about this? And like, what can I say? And like, is that enough? Right. And so, um, right, you can only impact the people that you can impact. Um, and we appreciate you for even joining us here tonight because let me tell you, to get a white person to come and sit with a bunch of minorities and people of color and have this kind of conversation is oh, a whole beat in itself. Let me, so. That is uh, no joke. People always ask us, like, why don't you, like, yo, we throw it out all the time. We looking for the white people want to talk group. <laughs> 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 we don't have access. I don't, we don't, we're not members. I don't know. But, uh, but thank you. <laughs> Oh, chill. Like, I'm trying to build my own confidence here. Like, <laughs> like, chill, chill, chill. No, but, but it, it all matters. That is, that is a beautiful gem that we've got from doing this work. There's times that we've walked away from events and there's been five, six, seven people in there. And the things that we've uncovered have gone and traveled with those people for the rest of their lives. And then that's what comes in with what you said and what Taz said of what we solely believe was conversations somebody else believes that rallies need to happen and voting needs to happen and we're not against all of that all of it needs to happen but like pick your shit and go with it and don't worry about how much it's going to affect um because now conversations get to happen so with that said uh patrick or cj you want to go ahead with that one and then and back to the question of of how what do you feel is the role of non-black people in, in dealing with these problems gotta pinch the middle that's the only way like i get where rachel's coming from where you do so much and it feels like so little like um even for the people i take care of sometimes i'll i'll feel like yo i should be at the hospital or something i should be taking care of more people because i'm lower risk than you know these people that are getting out of retirement to come back and you know they're there for like two weeks three weeks they're down they're a patient now and all I keep thinking is like, a machine built this, a machine's the only way to start 
fixing it on a grand scale, but it has to start from the grassroots because um, it's too easy for people to make up their mind just watching TV for five minutes or flipping through the headlines. They need to see it in real life. Like I've seen my community get to know my community and actually embrace one another in my town like I've never seen before because everybody was just in their home and then their car and then their home and then their car, maybe work and then their home and that's it. Like little bubbles everywhere. But when you see people in your face, it's harder to deny. Like, I think the reason why New York is so like New York city is so blue is because they got the subway. The rich people are right there with the poor people. So they exactly. see them so what's something right that, um, you know, non-black people or Vote. what what can we do that would show support like what's something that you want us to understand as a black man oh, in dealing with you never never say all lives matter again that <laughs> <laughs> it bury it salt the earth so nothing ever grows on it again like wh why um recognize when you're getting played next time somebody says zimmerman anything stop asking what other than the things to not do support black business be okay with people who don't look like you doing well because it doesn't mean anything bad on you because equality means you know some people who you help might just rise past you all right that's okay because we're all equal in this, right? Or is it only okay to a point? Like, I hope you do as well as my worst, please. Like, I just want mm. the best that's left over from me. Like, I don't want, and I see that a lot. And it's sort of like a token charity, token philanthropy. Like, I see a lot of people who just want to be the Princess Diana of this. And huh. I don't knock it out. I'm not going to knock the hand that feeds because at the end of the day, you are doing something. But if what you're holding is, let me just not make this like a third world type of, what third world? Everything was built in the last hundred years. Everything can be unbuilt in the next 20. So build something that sees people as people instead of, mm. look, the blacks are doing not as terrible. That was the goal. That is a powerful point, you know, because we hear that often of support black business and it's often within our community. And I often I, I know that has to be said more and more because we're children of capitalism. We're the firstborn. Black people are the firstborn children of this country, right? And we've gotten everything first. Um, so I'm not mad at when Precious. I it's facts, you know. It, you know, we'll we'll put pick and prod at our culture and why we do this and why we go buy Gucci and Louie. And I'm like, this is what we were given, you know? Um, so I understand a level of it, but when you start talking about other people supporting black business, that is a very powerful conversation to even have because the question immediately is like, why haven't you done it before? You know, what has kept you out of a black restaurant? What has kept you out of a getting a black sweater or whatever, especially if you know what's going on and i think that is a that commerce level is a very big deal so thank, thank I you i remember um what was it black thought from the roots said if you are what you eat are we chinese now all i thought was how is it always so okay that black people patronize the pizza place everybody the chinese food place yeah. and, 
all the time. That's a whole other conversation that, you know, there's so many layers. And it's all like, oh, that's the black store. But do you think, I mean, I'm going to just throw that question out, even like calling something a black store or a Chinese store um, and then treating it as such, like should, as people, I'm I'm really just asking as another person of color, right? And I support all businesses and all groups, um, but like, should I be specifically supporting it because it's black or should I be supporting them because I want to support them and that they're a business that's worth supporting? That, I'm just really, and CJ, you can maybe answer that. Oh, I would say to that part, can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. Uh, to that part, I think that it's uh, very important to understand why you're supporting something. Uh, like you said, am I just supporting it because it's black? I think that allyship and support, as long as it comes from a place of purity, if it's not necessarily like in this in a space of like fetish behavior, you know? Oh, let me dip my toe in because it's cool. Let me go get my corn roses because it's cool. Or, you know, like I feel like that has become a thing. I personally would like to support folks that do good business. Like for me, when I'm, what I'm trying to set up, I essentially want to take my proceeds and put it into other organizations around, around me. Like say, for example, the people that's doing the work on the ground, the folks that I come to support and I volunteer with. So it goes directly into the community. So it's not necessarily like, I want to know what your politics are before I support you. I want to know what it is that you stand for. Like, what is it, like, what's your code? Like, realistically, I feel like that's something that we should all just like navigate through as we support businesses. Like, like folks aren't eating Papa John's right now because of emails that came out, right? Y'all thought it was cold. Y'all like, nah, we're good, Papa Jones. No, thank you. But, <laughs> but like, Doja Cat. now, I think, and Doja Cat, like, you see what happened with her? Like, but it's wild. I don't want to go into that one. I don't know. I like, was trying to keep her out of... <laughs> that's a good point, though, because... And to your how, earlier question. How far does support go, you know? Uh, and as Rachel mm-hmm. said... It's not just even supporting black businesses, but if you know of racist things going on, you saw something in the news, just don't put your money there. Like you don't need to go support that. You don't have to go continue supporting something else, you know, uh, that's that's not supporting the community. So go ahead, CJ, I'm gonna cut you off. Yeah, no worries. I feel like also too, a uh, thing we have to understand is support doesn't necessarily just mean financial support, you know? Uh, me as an entrepreneur, as a starting, I appreciate shares. I appreciate you pulling somebody on. You want to hear the conversation, jump in, let folks know what's going on. If you can't necessarily support it yourself financially at that moment, it doesn't take a moment to tax somebody. It doesn't take a moment to share something, especially now when we're all at home, we're all obsessed over social media. It's become our life. We're like, oh my God, what's going on? Swipe, swipe, swipe. We're trying to figure it out. And to that, to again, with that, it doesn't necessarily have to look like financial, but just awareness is there. With me, when your earlier question uh, was how can folks that's not black or POC, how can those folks be involved in a conversation? I feel like sitting down, like I work on sets at time and it's a lot, primarily white folks like on set. So like I would actually sit there and explain to them, no, that's, that's a microaggression. Like I've actually had conversations with folks and like change their, oh shit, I didn't realize I was doing that. Oh, wow, that's 
is that what's going on? And if I tell them, like, listen, you look at me as just this one thing. Did you know I have a degree? Did you know I do this? Did you know I do volunteer work? Did you know I used to teach? Did you know all these type of things? Like, now you see much more than just the guy with the afro in front of you. You're like, oh, snap, this dude's doing some stuff. Let's make it happen. I don't know. Oh, excellent. That's a great answer. And um, it's not only monetary, which is definitely the case. Uh, we say the same thing within our culture and community. It's not all about just going out and, and to answer Nussie, because I want to answer that. It's like, my, I personally feel like it. what CJ said, it's about why. If you have a knowing of this kind of issue going on and you're not going to go out there and march and do all these other things that people do and sign petitions there's so many little things that you can do you know you know black people support a black business because you can or you know and, and that will go with everybody supporting whatever business you choose but we're talking specifically about black people it, it would be like i'm i'm supporting this because i understand why they need the support you know uh, it, it doesn't mean you have to do that over supporting your own or whatever, but that little bit of knowledge, like I haven't seen that in our community, white people coming in and sharing our stuff and, oh man, look, this is black owned business here. You know, they'll take it like, like CJ said, like, well, Patrick, you know, it always ends up in a possession. Somehow. <laughs> like, how'd you get that? You know, but it's never shared. It's never promoted like that. Um, so support and, and we, we could talk many, many more, um, hours about what support looks like but those were great points yeah. with that being said we are you know there's so many more so much more that we can talk about so many more layers to dig in unfortunately we are getting towards the end of our show um with that being said i know we covered a whole bunch of topics and this might be more things brewing in there i know i still have more questions that i want to get into maybe we'll have to do this again um, but what is one thing you want to see moving forward and what part can you play um, being just who you are, right? And that, however that looks for you, what does that look like? So anyone can start and jump in. So what thing that you want to see moving I think, forward? I think for me, oh, sorry. Uh, 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 so I think for me, it's um, having those conversations. Like, I think having these conversations is really hard with, you know, people of different generations, people of different backgrounds, right? Like having this conversation with my uncle would take a whole different turn. Um, so I think I do a really good job at pushing people's buttons sometimes. So I, I like having like couch conversations or, you know, these type of video conversations with friends and family. and like talking about it more to spread the awareness. That's that's great. That's, that's a great answer. That's our answer. <laughs> so that's, that's that's excellent. I don't know if anybody watched. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. You go ahead. Yeah. I don't know if anybody watched Watchmen, but there was this line near the end that was everything. And the guy said, Will said, take your mask off. Wounds need air. And as a nurse, wounds need air. Like once it's done bleeding, once once the infection is gone, wounds need air to heal. So I would hope the voices that stand by the side and stay quiet or just denounce things and, and upvote, you know, let the voices for 
um, the opposition against like this clearly unspoken racism against police brutality, let those voices from people other than the affected uh, groups be as loud as the chorus saying, oh, well, what did they, I'm not looking for full equality, but what I would ask for moving forward is that um, let it be known to the people around you that there's a wound and it needs air and we can't just act like the elephant's not in the room all the time. Oh, that was back in the, there's no back in the day. Back in the day was like 20 minutes ago. Like elephant's still in the room. Call it by its name and uh, on that, Patrick, you know, mm -hmm. for myself personally, um, for people to share what's happening, right? Like a lot of the times, even on my timeline, as I'm reading through who's sharing what articles, um, there's obviously a specific group of people sharing specific articles only, and other groups like just tend to pass it by. Like they might know about it, they might have heard about it but it's not on their mind to share it or speak about it. And something that I was personally surprised by this weekend is, I guess, I don't know, I guess we're home and we have more, you know, the Central Park one, I think. I probably saw the most amount of white people share that post out of any other post I've ever seen them posting or sharing in the past. So, I mean, that's a start, I guess. Um, Shirley, you wanted to go? Shirley? Uh, yeah. I was going to say um, what I would like to see moving forward is uh, fair justice. Or, you know, I don't know if I should use the word fair because justice is justice. Justice. There's so much um, justice that's not being served that my people are due to receive. Um, and I would like to see that happening for uh those who have been previously hurt or harmed uh, and those who are currently being hurt and harmed. Wonderful. Thank you, Shirley. Yeah. CJ? Um, yes, to that point, justice is definitely up there. Um, but never forget, slavery was legal. But um, for me, I like to say that we shouldn't, like, moving forward, I feel like we should step away a little bit from hashtag hero ship, where we like, oh, uh, hashtag this is going on, whatever. It's great to bring awareness, but also, I feel like within that, we put the responsibility of action on somebody else. We all have the potential to be heroes. We all have potential to be saviors of ourselves and our community. We have to be active with that. We have to recognize our power and then know that there, there's power and agency. If you have the ability to get up and make a change, do it. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. We're waiting for a hero that's not going to come, or you might be that hero we're waiting for. Step up. That's it. Moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Did, did you go first? No. Rachel is our. No. Um, what I personally would like to see is for um, white people to check their fear. And like, where does that really come from? And I've spent most of my life in brown skinned communities and um, struggle with my own self-hate because of the fact that I am Caucasian and, you know, the generational racism that is passed down from that. Um, 
so I have avoided community because of the fear of being rejected before I even place myself in the position to be accepted. So on my end, I would take up the role of consciously placing myself in different atmospheres where I can be subjected to white people and have these healthy dialogues with them about them questioning, you know, their perceptions or possibly being being open to my perception being enhanced as far as looking at white people as most of them are racist. And so what you're I, um, what you're talking about is unconscious biases. And that's something actually, um, I am perspective we have been working on over the past three years or however long you want to say. And um, we recently just released a self assessment form. Um, because we have a develop, we have developed questions that we think help people become more aware of where they're coming from and what it is that exactly is the fear against whatever their bias is, right? Because we all have them and it's coming from somewhere, whether it's, you know, it was instilled in you through your parents, through your family, through your you know, communities, um, maybe something happened to you that one time and that's it for the rest of your life, whatever it is. Um, and really coming to an understanding and even taking that time to come to an understanding, it allows you to then move forward and, you know, walking past that, right? So, um, you know, just another reason, I guess, we do the work that we do with Jarrell. Um, thank you all. Thank you all. Yeah. We clearly could have had this conversation for three more hours. The vibe in here is excellent. Um, this is one of those conversations that we're gonna have to re-up on because we didn't even get to all of our questions, but um, like this was important. Uh, that's the point I was making earlier, like this is a small thing. This is a small thing, right? You know, like we're all amazing people, but we don't have hundreds of thousand followers and everything, but we all are here because we know this is important. You guys have things to do. I know that you got shit to do and work and, but you're, you know that your perspective and your opinion matter. Uh, my message to everyone hearing this Black, non-black allies, and it's like cut the shit, like cut it out, man. You know, like fuck. How much do we have to do this? You know, and to what CJ said, I have a real hour-long rant that I'm gonna cut down into 15 seconds right now. <laughs> but like, cut the shit. <laughs> this is like, like we we're going into life and death matters, and um, it's time to have those conversations with your uncle and your your auntie and your mom. My mom's right here. My mom and I have all kinds of race conversations. We don't agree on everything. We we have different opinions. <clears throat> I have a different early perspective than she does, but like that's a conversation that needs to be had, you know. Uh, and with your friends and with your homies, like that shit matters. That matters. We 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 uh, like the brother said, man. We trying to hashtag this away and mass movement away. What was said earlier was, a, this is a world problem, it's a government problem, this is our problem, this is a black people problem, all the way at the bottom, right? Like, what was echoed is nobody's coming for me. Nobody's coming for us. The system is broken, slavery was legal. This system is what it was. And, it, and the government is not gonna change it. Nobody's gonna come in and just write regulations. For this. this is gonna take all of the black people is going to take all of our allies It's going to take republicans It's going to take everybody to start seeing these issues and these are not the only issues but how can we start even talking about feminism and 
uh, immigration really, if we're not having this major conversation about something that's been plaguing this place since it started, you know? So I, I think that was echoed in a lot of sentiment of our guests is um, do your part. It doesn't take a lot. It could just be one conversation. It could be one share. It could be one post. It could be one, I bought a bean pie, damn it. I want to see a white person with a bean pie by next weekend. Like that, make that the next hashtag. And in a damn and a paper from a Muslim man. Like we can <laughs> start where you at, damn it. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, because this is a very serious conversation. Um, you all made excellent. We will definitely have this conversation again. I think um, we haven't had an Iron Perspective event this month, but we will be back to having some events in June. And um, we do plan on taking this conversation on a bigger level than just this radio show, right? So um, we will definitely be sending out those invites to you as well. Um, before we get off air, um, thank you guys again really for joining us and joining us so last minute and really sharing with us as authentically as you guys have. We really do appreciate it. Please tell us how we can support you personally right so how would we do you guys have a um a website you guys have an instagram whatever that is please let us know how we can support you um for us here at i am perspective you can check us out on our website www.iamperspective.com we're also on instagram at at i.amperspective and you can also check out our subsidiary, our charity portion of what we're currently doing, um, which is I am protected. So that's I dot am protected on Instagram as well. Um, and to you guys, please tell us how we can support you. Anyone can go. Has <laughs> I'm just pointing out names. Uh, can you hear me? I, yeah, <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for having me here. This was fun. How can we support you? Can we follow you somewhere? Oh, yeah. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know how to find me. Uh, uh, yeah. She's going to be the first one to be like, nah, I'm good. I just had a good time. Thanks, guys. Please don't follow me. That's really what she's saying. Don't follow me. <laughs> As a Muslim brown girl, sometimes we like we're sneaky like that. I've gotten really bad at um, sharing on social media, but I'm well, trying to <laughs> All right. Um, Patrick? Follow me on Instagram at Patrick's All Right, W R I T E, and Right Night NYC, Instagram, W R I T E N I T E. And um, yeah, every week we have uh, on Monday nights, we have a conversation about writing, and it's a space where we come together, we talk about our blocks, and we get intentional about creating, yeah. Uh, CJ Carrington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my, my business page is underscore DPCNYC. It's gonna be a picture of this guy. Um, also, uh, my website is dopepeopleconnect.com. I'm working on the website still, trying to work out the kinks and make it look better and all these things. What is things. Dope People Connect? All right, so Dope People Connect is is my initiative. It's my business, if for lack of a better term. But it's the mindset that I'm trying to go into. When I say build our community and take these initiatives and and try to connect the dots and like see where folks of color, black people, where we can kind of support each other. That's essentially what the hub 
will look like. I'm in the process of building that out. Um, as of right now, on my Instagram at underscore DPCNYC, I post like a like a weekly schedule of things. And I would love to fill it up with some of you guys' uh, submissions as well. So like you said, on Monday nights, you're having things, Patrick. I would love to like post it and share it out. I would love to like do that type of thing so folks can see what's going on. The same way I was saying support doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. Monetary, uh, we could do it this way. Bring awareness to each other. Let folks know the initiatives that we're pushing. Let folks know the conversations we're having and see where we all can grow from there. So that's where it's at with me. Dope people connect. <laughs> oh, that was very good. Sure. And you can, yep, you can, uh, if you want to check me out, my website, ShirleyBernay.com, and then uh, I'm on IG, handle Shirley Bernay. All right, Shirley Bernay. Shirley, um, can you just speak a little bit more about, like, how you've been supporting people of color and what that looks like and how we can support you with that? Uh, sure. So uh, one of the big ways I support people of color, as I mentioned at the top of the call, I help run an organization called Hue You Know, uh, and we have a, a large base of people of color in media and entertainment. We help them get jobs. We do lots of mentoring, provide educational resources. Um, just whatever we can to help people advance in the media and entertainment space uh, where we are mainly the minority and that's all people of color. Um, I also am one of the leads for the people of color community group at Vice Media Group. So I support in putting together programming for all of people of color uh, there, which also serves the larger employee uh, community at large. Uh, the way you can support is you can follow Hugh. Um, if you guys have ideas for programming or resources that would serve as good partnerships or support to the community, let me know. Great, thank you. Rachel? Um, you can follow me on IG at Elevating the Essence 360. So that's elevating underscore the essence underscore 360. All right, all right. I think that's it. We got our information, ironperspective.com. You'll, you'll be able to find that uh, unconscious bias awareness assessment up there as well. What Nussie was talking about, we have workshops coming for that. We have, we have some really amazing workshops because those kinds of conversations need to happen on a personal level, in the household, in the, <clears throat> in the corporation. We had our foot right in the corporation door before COVID happened, but that doesn't mean we're out of there. Uh, because business still goes and uh, there's industries that are forming right now. I'm not going to pull all our cards out, but there are industries forming right now that are regulating the industries as they're being created. And a lot of these things that we're talking about as far as inclusion and diversity need to be baked into the industries that are being created. You know, oil industry, electric industries, all those industries were already here before we got here. And we didn't have any say with JP Morgan in them. But with these new industries, we actually have a say. So thank you all. Thank you so much for joining. This has been an amazing event. Um, it's gonna be a great playback, I know. Uh, we really appreciate you. Really appreciate you. It's Iron Perspective Radio episode like 90 or something.